My good people, greetings. How are you? How are we feeling? Everyone well? Keeping cool after the brutal heat wave that we had here, especially in the Northeast where it was about 108 degrees or it seemed like it felt that way. Well, I got news for you. Not only is that music to my ears, but I'm here to give you a blast of cool sports air as we recap everything that's happening in the world of the sports landscape here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. As this is your host, J Reels. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for taking a chance to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's happening on the hardwood, ice, diamond, gridiron, etc. And for those who've been with me on this journey for now 81 episodes, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, July the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2019. Here's what I have on tap. Manny Pacquiao, yes, a long lost name in boxing, resurfaces as he beats Keith Thurman on Saturday night. We'll see what uh, lies ahead for the former and now current WBA welterweight champion. We'll also talk about Shane Lowry winning the Open Championship, which, let's face it, it was not thrilling to say the least, but he is the winner, and the golf majors have concluded now for 2019. We'll also talk about Tiger Woods a little bit, as he did not make the cut and certainly seemed human, considering the way he started off this 2019 as far as the majors are concerned, winning the Masters. So I'll touch on that. We'll also get into Odell Beckham Jr. and more comments that he said in this recent GQ article, which I believe will be published at some point uh, in the coming days. So with him and everything he's had to say about his former team, obviously he needs to pipe down and just needs to stay away from a microphone. So you'll uh, hear my two cents on that, but we'll kick off with the baseball, which obviously is front and center right now. And if you're the Yankees and feeling high and mighty as you should, even though the loss yesterday against Colorado, in fact, you bookended the week. Think about this. Last Monday at this time, we were talking about the Yankees and Rays, and they were a bad slider from Aroldis Chapman, where, believe it or not, of all people, former Met catcher Travis Darno hit three home runs in that game. But you were a bad slider from sweeping the Rays out of the AL East contention, and we saw how that played out throughout the course of the week. And then yesterday with James Paxton on the mound, where from one start you could feel like you get seven innings with 11 strikeouts, no runs, and then the performance that he put on yesterday in the sweltering heat at Yankee Stadium certainly did not prove to be sweep-worthy as the Yankees now hit the road finally after a 10-game homestand, which pretty much cemented the AL East crown. And I get it that it's late July and there's still two-plus months to be played at baseball. But there is no way, shape, or form, and there will certainly be an investigation if the Yankees somehow squander and choke this 11-game lead in the AL East. Now, technically, it's not 11. It's 11 in the loss. They have a nine-game lead over the Rays. They only face the Rays two more times in late September. So with the Red Sox on the horizon, as the Yankees, as I said before, they do hit the road. They go to Minnesota here for three games, which is going to be interesting for Minnesota because they're in a bit of a free fall. And the Twins need to show and prove that they could play with this Yankee team. Because historically, as we all know, whether it's in the postseason or even especially in the regular season, the Twins certainly cannot match what the Yankees have to offer as they've had their number probably for the last decade plus. And then they go to Fenway for four games. The first time they're actually going to Fenway this year. Now remember, they had the two-game series in London, which were technically home games for the Red Sox. So now they get to go up to the Fenway Faithful for the first time this year, starting on Thursday, which if people want to look at that as the 
burial for the Red Sox. I, I think they're already buried for the division. So right, you want to put them out of their misery for the AL East? Fine. I get that. Well, that'll take place over the course of this week. And with the Yankees right now, and I get that to say that they won a division right now with all these games to be played, and the Yankees have a ton of road games. I mean, they played at home, it seems like, the first two-thirds of the season. And now they'll finally pack their bags, head to the Midwest before coming back east this weekend. They have plenty of trips out in the West Coast, including three games against the Dodgers, which right now are looking to be a World Series preview. Those are games that are going to be highly anticipated, considering it'll be late August. Both teams are going to be, although with the dog days here, they're going to be peak performance. There's going to be all the buzz and all the talk about a potential World Series matchup. And those are the only three games that the Yankees that are really going to matter around here because, let's face it, there's no way that they're gagging this lead. There's no way that they're, unless they, Aaron Judge is on the shelf, Domingo Herman is back on the shelf. They're not going to see Luis Severino. All these players that they've have come to either be injured, come off the injured list, have performed well, and even the guys that the DJ LeMahieu's of the world, the Giorgio if they start to drop like flies, then maybe, just maybe, they'll be a race of any sorts in the AL East. But I will be absolutely shocked, even if the Yankees do have other injuries or if injuries do arise and we all know throughout the course of the season that could possibly happen. We've seen what happened in the first two months of this year and guys still on the shelf. Giancarlo Stanton in particular and the aforementioned Luis Severino as well. But if you're the Yankees, the one thing that is going to, I'm not going to say it's going to be a thorn on the side or the one thing that's that may bother you especially if you're GM Brian Cashman. But the one thing that you have to look out in the horizon right now is where am I going to get this starting pitcher? Because as we all know, come October, you're going to need to have that one guy that's going to match up against the other team's ace in a five-game or seven-game series. Now, we understand that baseball in 2019, especially when you get into October, it's all about your bullpen. And we know the Yankees have a very stout, if not probably the best bullpen in baseball. But still, you cannot win game in, game out on your bullpen alone. You need to get some length from some of your starting pitchers. And let's just say, for instance, if the Yankees go up against the Houston Astros in the ALCS, they have a guy in Justin Verlander that could go seven, eight, nine innings. And that's not to say that a guy like Masahiro Tanaka can't do it. Or even a guy like Domingo Herman. Or a seasoned, wily, venerable vet like CeCe Zabathia. But we all know that if you're going to match zeros against a guy like Justin Verlander, chances are it's going to go deep into a game as opposed to just five or six innings. And where the Yankees are going to get that picture, considering the recent developments of what's happened out in San Francisco, where the Giants have gotten themselves back in the NL wildcard race as just two games behind and at 500 at 50 and 50, which certainly isn't sexy when you're looking at making a playoff push, but considering the mediocrity of the National League and the way it's constructed here on July 22nd, with that front office, that organization, who has won already three World Series much earlier in this decade, but still they have three in 2010, 12, and 14, that they may say to themselves, we are going to make a push here. Because we know we have the horse, the number 40, Madison Bumgarner, who a lot of teams covet, And I would think the Yankees would be high on that list. 
But chances are, if they feel like they're going to be in the race, there's no way that they would part with their World Series and postseason pitcher that, let's face it, has been the best in this generation. And Brian Cashman, I understand, could look elsewhere for a guy like Marcus Stroman or would even dare call Cleveland to see if he could pluck Trevor Bauer, which now Cleveland, not only are they in the mix for the wild card, but now they're three games back where I would say as early as four to five weeks ago, the Twins had a double-digit lead on the Cleveland Indians, and you were thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those seasons for Cleveland that there's going to be no way for them to recover. Considering Jose Ramirez is on a down year, Francisco Lindor started the season on the IL and has played well, but certainly hasn't been MVP-like as he's been over the last few years. And with injuries to Corey Kluber, who's on the mend, Mike Clevenger, who's back, Carlos Carrasco, who's trying to recover from leukemia, you would think that this was going to be a season for the Indians that despite their 2016 World Series appearance and unfortunate bow-outs in these postseasons over the last couple of years, this was going to be a year of, all right, let's retool. Let's try to get it back in 2020 because 2019 is certainly not shaping out to be a good one. Well, guess what? They're three games behind Minnesota in the AL Central, and now they're looking to see if they can make a push. So I wouldn't think that Trevor Bauer would be on the block unless a team happens to blow them away, whether it be the Milwaukee Brewers, who are certainly hurting, and we'll get to them later on. But the Yankees, even Marcus Stroman, a guy, as we all know, is a local guy from Long Island, short in stature, but certainly has the testicular fortitude to play in New York. But is he a guy that's going to put you over the top? Yeah, he's going to be a guy that's going to be stable, but right now, stability is not what the Yankees need between now and October 1st. They need to have that guy that's going to go deep into a ball game if need be, as I mentioned earlier, against the team's opposing ace. And that's not to knock a Marcus Stroman or Trevor Bauer or anybody else that I may be forgetting or it's not coming to mind. But when you're looking at a World Series and anything short of that this year for the Yankees would be a major disappointment. We understand two years ago, baby bombers, they made it to a seventh game of an ALCS. That was great. Fine. There was a lot of promise going into 2018. We know what happened last year. We get that 100 wins, but still there were eight wins shy of a division title with the Red Sox as they cruised to their fourth World Series title in this century. And now here they are in 2019. Special things are happening. They're 30 games over 500 as we speak. And now they need to know whether or not over the next nine days are they going to get their men or men to reshape that starting rotation and even, if I even think about, reload an already loaded bullpen. Because you know Cashman, even if he can't get that starter, he'll find some reliever on some team that is out of it that he'll pluck and send a couple of prospects and away we go. And then you look at their bullpen where they'll figure that, hey, even if October we can only get four innings from a starter, we can go five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Now that's a recipe that could be disastrous because you certainly don't want to rely on your bullpen game in and game out, definitely in the regular season as you get toward the home stretch and the finality of this campaign, but certainly in October because you need to get some length from your starters. You just can't run out Ottavino, Britton, Chad Green, Chapman, game after game after game. And we understand the first round, you'll have the two games, then the day off, then two more games. But as we know 
familiarity when you see these pitchers time and time again, the advantage goes to the hitter. And despite the fact that it is about pitching in October and especially big-time relief pitching that the Yankees do have, but also one of the recipes for success in October is timely hitting. And when you see these guys over and over, their arm deliveries, the angles, the velocity, etc., chances are if you're going to see Adovino three times in a series, he's not going to be lights out in all three appearances. Same for Zach Britton. And the lights are much brighter in those games, as we all know. So if you're a Yankee fan right now, I understand you have your feet up. I understand you're looking at the horizon to say, ah, this is going to be a great season. We're going to probably win 100 to 105 games this year. Yes, World Series 28, it's certainly looking like it's going to happen. Well, I would think of a team in L.A. is going to say, uh, pump the brakes on that, my guy. But you also have to look at the the reality of them trying to get a starting pitch over the next nine days that's certainly going to either A, put them over the top, or a 1A to a 2 where it could certainly take them to the mountaintop. And that's get to a World Series. With Justin Verlander, a guy like that, that you'll possibly face in October, you certainly need to have a horse or at least a pony in the race where you're going to try to make it to that mountaintop and get over the hump to get that 28th world championship. And one of the things, as I mentioned it over the weekend, talking to my girlfriend about this, do you know that the Yankees have at least been in a World Series in every decade going back to the 20s? So here we are in the decade of the teens. And as we know, the Yankees have not made it to a World Series in this decade. But the one thing is, is as they're gunning for it, it'll be the first time in the 20s or going back to the teens of the 20th century that they would not make it to a World Series if that doesn't happen to be the case this year. But even more so, and this is going to get the Yankee fan crazy and they're going to start puffing their chests out, but if you want symmetry, you can look back 20 years ago when they won in 1999. You can look back 10 years ago when they won in 2009. And what year are we in? Need I say more? But the Yankees had a great week. I mean, what could you say? They beat up on the Rays. CC barking at Abisail Garcia. CC, I understand this is last year and he's having fun, whatever. But the last couple years he's been a little bit of a tough guy. And I got nothing against him. I mean, CC, I think, has been a great Yankee. Certainly has pitched in a lot of big games and deservedly so. Now, can you rely on him in a big spot? That remains to be seen. Remember what happened in Game 7? Only pitched a few innings. Couldn't get out of, I do believe it was the fourth inning before things started to fall apart. But CC, I certainly had a lot to say here in his latter part of his career. And I'm going to say this. I'll go on record. I don't have all the numbers in front of me. But in my eyes, he's not a Hall of Famer. We understand he's had a long career. We understand 3,000 strikeouts, 250 wins. And he's had years of dominance. But he hasn't had years of sustained dominance. And that's another argument for another time. I get that's going to upset the Yankee fan. He's like, oh, he's just a Met fan, just trying to throw any type of cold water on the Yankees parade or a Yankee player or whatever. No, just go back and look. And we, I, we want to tie young. I get that too. But yes, dominance. Dominance. That's what we want to talk about. We don't want to talk about good years. We don't want to talk about very good years. Because we know very good doesn't make the Hall of Fame. I guess in this case, day and age it does. Because if you're Lee Smith or even Harold Baines, and not to 
throw ice water on them. And congratulations to them, but that was more of the Veterans Committee that voted them into the Hall of Fame. But CC, I'm sure he's going to want to go out with a bang. And just to get back to 2019 as opposed to him and his career. But uh, certainly has had a lot to say. And the Yankees have certainly have had, to this point, just a spectacular and special season. Considering the injuries, the lack of starting pitching, that they've been able to pick themselves up. What could you say about DJ LeMahieu? The guy is probably the MVP of the league. I understand that you're going to have the Mike Trout guy or the Anaheim Angel fan is going to say, hey, what about Trout? Well, LeMahieu, the guy has just been, they call him the machine. And that's what he's been. When you have 35 two-out RBIs and you're batting 446 with runners in scoring position, I mean, geez, I mean, does it get any better than that? He hits a home run against his former team over the weekend. The team has been on fire. And Carnarcion, I know he's had his moments. He hit the Grand Slam there on Friday night. But he's contributed here and there. Hasn't been overly impressive. And I know it makes me look bad because when they traded for him at first, I thought to myself, why? Giancarlo was coming back. Judge was coming back. They do not need right-handed power. But as we know, Giancarlo may not come back till sometime in August. And he certainly has been... I'm going to say he's been average, okay? But he's had his moments. He's had big hits and big times, including the game Friday night where he hit the Grand Slam, which they were off and running after that when they won 8-2. to two. And I know the Boone ejection was the big deal the other day. Him talking about, hey, I have uh, effing savages coming up to the box, so on and so forth. All that was recorded there. If you didn't hear that, I'm sure you can find it somewhere if you just Google it or find it on YouTube. And yeah, he got a game suspension because of it. And in fairness to Boone, yeah, some of those calls are ridiculous. The umpire, Brendan Miller, the guy looked like he was 18. I couldn't believe how young he looked. And he is a rookie umpire, so Boone was giving him the business, and rightfully so, got his money's worth, and obviously got ejected and suspended for a game. But Boone did the right thing, had to do what he had to do in that spot. And a lot of, I believe, was the yeah, bat with Gardner, and then following that, I think it was LeMahieu, and then that's when he got tossed. So, Yankees right now, feeling good, as good as Luke Voigt's face or his jaw as he got hit the other day and he actually played in the game yesterday. And that was a scary sight. He actually thought about Giancarlo Stanton when he got hit in the face there in Milwaukee a few years back. But Yankees are in cruise control. They're going to be fine. I know the Yankee fans certainly aren't sweating this week unless they go 0-7 this week. But I don't think that's going to happen. And if you're going to think about, oh, this is where we put the Red Sox out of their misery, it's only for the division because they're still in the wild card mix. So I would think that uh, no matter what the Yankees do this week, and I'm sure they're going to have a successful week, uh, but the starting pitcher, where is that going to come from? Nine days away, that is the big question. What is Brian Cashman going to do? Is it going to be more of the starting pitcher? Is he going to get more relief pitching? Remains to be seen, but uh, we'll certainly keep our eye on that, obviously, over the course of the week and until next week when we reconvene and discuss the Yankees starting pitching. As far as the Mets are concerned, if I would have told you last week, now mind you, they were already three games into their nine-game road trip. They lost the first game in Miami and they won the back two. But if I would have told you that the rest of the trip, that they would have been five and four, oh, all right, sure, I'll take that. Not a problem. You figured it would have split in Minnesota and then split the four games in San Francisco. Well, what did they do? They actually win the two games in Minnesota. And we know the Twins have had a phenomenal year. 
to the tune of Edwin Diaz with a tightrope there in the first game where they were able to pull it out, and then Alonzo punctuated with the bomb, that 474-foot shot, but Dom Smith had the biggest hit in the game with the three-run homer. Eddie Rosario on left field drops a ball, a bunch of runners score. And the Mets go to San Francisco after a 14-4 thrashing, a two-game sweep in Minnesota, and you think to yourself, 4-1. and one. Even if they split the four games, that's 6-3, and three, and they'll come home. All right, great. Now, I was not one, if you heard me last week, I was not in the camp that the Mets were in this wild card race at six and a half back. Now, mind you, it's a week later, and they're seven back, and they certainly hadn't made any ground. So, here they go to San Francisco. They lose a brutal game Thursday night where Alonso hits a home run in the 16th, and then they lose in the bottom of the inning. They lose an even more brutal game Friday night where Dom Smith is inexperienced and left field showed where Rosario's going back on a ball. looks like he has a beat on it, but then he holds up. Smith then looks down at Rosario to avoid a collision. The ball drops. Runner scores. Like Gary Cohen said on the broadcast, it was reminiscent of the Luis Castillo nightmare at Yankee Stadium in 2009 when Teixeira scored from first. Oh, geez. That, that's... I wish I could erase that memory. Now, the Mets come barreling back there on Saturday with the four home runs. Alonzo breaks the rookie RBI record in a season with the three-run homer, the pinch-hit home run at that. They had four home runs in the game, and you think going into the game yesterday with Steven Matz hopefully pitching a decent start that they would sw- uh, split the series and come home with a 6-3 and three record and save some face. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're in the race, but they finally come home after a long road trip after the All-Star break to play San Diego and Pittsburgh. So what did you get yesterday? You got back-to-back home runs early from Conforto and Rosario and pretty much nothing after that. And then it took 12 innings, another extra inning game, third in a row, uh, as far as losses are concerned, because they did have the game on Saturday, which they won. But after losing in 16 on Thursday and 12 and 10 on Friday, yesterday to lose in 12 to Carl Yastrzemski's grandson, Mike, as he hits an opposite field home run of Robert Gazelman. And the Mets come stumbling home, still nine games under the 500 at 45 and 54. And although people will still think that they're in the race, but uh-uh, not the case. Still have a million teams to leapfrog. In fact, they're dead even with the Reds. And remember, the Mets, as of this time last week, everybody was ahead of them except for the Marlins. So now they're even with the Reds. So if they have made some progress, maybe that's it. But they're going to need a ton more help. And with the bullpen the way it is, although it's been better since the break, but still. And their offense, it seems like it comes and goes in these games. The Mets right now, they need to start selling. That's all there is to it. And the first person, and I get that he's on the I.L., and it's shoulder fatigue, and he hope we hope he comes off the sweep because if the Mets are going to showcase Zach Wheeler, they need to do it soon. And hopefully they could do it in, over the course of the next couple of days because you would think that if he were to, let's say for instance, if he were to start Wednesday, the Mets are off today, so they play tomorrow. Jason Vargas is scheduled to pitch. That could change. Who knows? But let's just say if he pitches on Wednesday. And we know Wednesday that would be Jacob DeGrom pitching Noah Syndergaard, etc. Or maybe I got a flip-flop. Yes, that would be Syndergaard's game. Let me get that straight. Syndergaard would pitch then Wednesday, the Grom Thursday. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll scratch Vargas. Now they're trying to showcase him so they could send them off somewhere. But if Wheeler were somehow, some way, be a part of this mix, and maybe he'll pitch over the weekend. 
But if I'm the Mets, if he's healthy now, start pitching him. Because there's a team that's in not only the wild card race, but in the race for the division that needs help and reinforcements quickly. And that's Milwaukee. So if the Mets have a suitor for a guy like Zach Wheeler, and if we remember just four years ago, now I understand it was a long time, but four years ago, the Milwaukee Brewers were on the path of Zach Wheeler with the famous or non, I should say the famous non-trade of Wilma Flores, Zach Wheeler for Carlos Gomez. Well, if somehow, some way, that shoulder is 100% or God willing close to it, I would start Wheeler tomorrow night. Try to get two starts in before the deadline and then the deadline next Wednesday and then he'll pitch that following weekend hopefully for Milwaukee or for another team and get something back in return. If you're the Mets, wouldn't that be wise to do that? Now, I don't know where Zach is as far as his recovery is concerned. I believe he's scheduled to come off the DL tomorrow as it is, the 23rd. So does that mean he starts tomorrow, the day after? Who knows? And they're going to push up Noah and Jake? Probably not. But if I'm the Mets, he should pitch tomorrow night. He's going to bring back more than Vargas ever will, first and foremost. And I know that Wheel is a rental. And you're not going to probably get as much. But guess what? If Milwaukee's desperate, they may be able to send them a nice little package for one Zach Wheeler. That would be the wise thing to do. Wouldn't it be uh, Brody Van Wagenen? So we'll see how that shakes down over the course of the next nine days. And yeah, Vargas is a guy that's going to be gone. Todd Frazier, I get Frazier's going to probably be dealt to an American League team because he could DH and obviously play third base. I can't see a National League team, even with all the teams in the National League that are in the wild card mix, him being traded. Eh, not to say he can't be traded to an NL team, but my point is, is that he'd probably be more useful in the American League. And the Mets should start dealing this week. Now, funny enough, throughout the lay of the land of the MLB, ever since you had those two trades last week, and they were minor trades. I mean, nothing to get crazy about. When Oakland was able to get Homer Bailey, and then the Red Sox traded for Andrew Kashner. Since then, you've had nothing. You would think this week you're going to start to hear rumblings and start to hear the rumors ramp up big times. And if you're, like I said, Brody right now, but he should be talking to Zach's agent saying, all right, He's going to pitch tomorrow night or he's going to pitch in these coming days. Guess what? This is the time to, to showcase him. And if you're Zach Wheeler, why not? Wants to get back on the mound. I'm sure he doesn't want to leave New York. He said glowing things about New York over the course of his career here. But it's not as if the Mets can't re-sign him. They've done that in years past with Jay Bruce and even bringing back Jerry's Familia. We know how that's turned out so far. But you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Mets won't bring him back. Get something for you for him while you can. Especially when you know he's going to leave for nothing at the end of the year. But the Mets right now, as much as they could say that they're in the race, as much as they say they're scratching, clawing, fighting, and that was the crazy thing too. You know, hearing Mickey Calloway last Wednesday in the press conference talking about how, oh yeah, you know, we're in the mix. And I understand he can't say we're out of it. I get that he can't just be pessimistic about it, but he just seems so optimistic that, oh yeah, we're right there in the thick of it. Right there in the thick of it. Come on, Mickey, stop. Ah. Uh. I don't know. I, it's Maybe it's me. And it's not being jaded or cynical. It's just being real. I don't care what Met fan on this planet could turn to me and say, that, hey, we're only this much out. We're nine games on the 500. 
and I tweeted this even after the Minnesota game. 14-4, and at that point, they were what? Uh, they were seven under, 500. I said to win three out of four in San Francisco. And even then, that's still not enough, but win three and four in San Francisco, come home, San Diego, Pittsburgh, get to 500, and then we'll talk. Well, guess what? They're still nine games back, or nine under 500. And they're a half game back of where they were a week ago today, a week ago you know, from today, absolutely. So, what's changed? Enlighten me, please. As I said before, and I'll say it again, for those who haven't listened to any of the previous podcasts, the only thing you have to look forward to in the second half of the season is Pete Alonso. God willing, he stays healthy. And he came out of that little mini slump that he had in Miami in the first game in Minnesota. Obviously, he's had three home runs since then. Broke a bat over his knee. I hope his knee's all right, because, geez, you know, it's wooden bats, I tell you. They're like toothpicks. They're toothpicks in this day and age. Yasiel Puig breaking them and all these other players. But, I mean, that and Jeff McNeil winning a batting title. I mean, that's all you have. Yeah, you want to tell me, oh, well, Jake DeGrom. Well, Jake's not pitching for Cy Young. I mean, yeah, you want to see pit, uh, Jake pitch? Fair. Sure, no problem, but still. But that's what you have with the Mets. I mean, other than that, there's, there's nothing really to talk about. You just hope that. Brody could get something back for some of these players that he's thinking of trading. I don't expect any big trades with Noah. And Noah pitched well the other night. So hopefully he's on a straight and narrow to a good second half. And that's all you have for the Mets. As far as the rest of baseball is concerned, you have a lot of the wild cards. Just uh, It's crazy. I'm not going to get into the divisions. We could talk about the AL Central now, as I mentioned before, with Minnesota slowly but surely losing their grip on the AL Central as the Indians are charging. So we'll see what even the Indians are going to do. Now, they're starting to get healthy here, so that's certainly going to help them. But now it's Minnesota, and I mentioned this last week. That was my theme as far as these teams that are going to make any trades. What are they going to do to get some reinforcements, whether it's to get more relief pitching or even starting pitching for that matter? You know, because in the... AL East and the AL West. I understand if you want to look at the Angels, they're six and a half back and they're hanging in there. Houston swept Texas over the weekend. So you think Texas may be, I'm not going to say they're out of the wild card mix, but they certainly now, what are they, six and a half back at this moment? So they certainly have lost their grip as far as the wild card is concerned as I pull up the standings here. But when you look at those divisions, when you look at the NL East, Washington split in Atlanta over the weekend, so no harm, no foul there. They're still six and a half, and I believe seven in the loss. And you can forget about the NL West, but the Central, the Cubs, now have a two-game lead, and Chicago goes to Milwaukee at the end of the week, so that's going to be an interesting series from the Brewers as far as they're concerned. And as I said, the Brewers now with Brandon Woodruff, he was their all-star pitcher there for the Brewers this year, and he's on with the I.L. with an oblique. So that's certainly... Not going to bode well. That could be, who knows how long that injury is going to be. That's why they need some pitching help in the worst way. But the wild card is where you're going to be focusing your attention as far as both the AL and NL is concerned. Now, of course, we've talked about the NL as far as with all these teams there, even if you want to include the Mets, uh, I'm not going to include them. But we'll start with the NL. Washington right now has the first spot but they're a half game ahead of the second wild card lead. 
And the second wild card lead right now is the Milwaukee Brewers. But breathing down their necks are both St. Louis and Philadelphia. They're both a half game back. Percentage points away because the Cardinals are 51-47. Philly is 52-48. and You have Arizona there with two and a half back, followed by San Francisco two and a half back. And then you want to look at Colorado, San Diego, Pittsburgh, the Mets, etc. And it's funny enough, the Mets, when you look at San Diego, Pittsburgh, the Mets in that order, what a time for the Mets to try to get back into it, quote-unquote, because they play both San Diego and Pittsburgh at home over the course of the next six games. So if you really want to be serious, Mets fans, and not only that, but the Mets brass, hierarchy, etc., win five of these next six. I know that everybody's laughing and falling out of their chairs right now, but eh, right, if they're going to be serious, they're going to have to win these games. Two out of three, all right, you'll take two out of three each. you got to start somewhere, right? But still, uh, I tell you. Anyway, that's what you have there in the National League. And then the American League, Cleveland is a game up on Oakland as they have the top spot in the wild card race. Then you have Tampa, who's a game back of Oakland, followed by the... Red Sox at three back, Angels five and a half, then Texas six and a half, and you can forget about the rest. So Texas right now, as I've said, they're, I'm not going to say they're on life support, but as far as the wild card's concerned, they certainly took a big hit by losing the the Astros over the weekend. And then the Angels, let's face it, they've played well, they've rallied around the whole Tyler Skaggs unfortunate passing, and you would hope they'd be in the mix. I mean, why not? Who wouldn't want to see Mike Trout back in the postseason? Now, I understand it's going to be a tall order. It's going to be a big task. We get that. But to have Anaheim, I'm going to call them Anaheim. I know it's the Los Angeles Angels, Angels Anaheim. But to have them be in the mix here is certainly going to be good for baseball. And even if he gets into the postseason, it's going to be even better. So we'll certainly keep our eyes focused and attentive on that. And as far as any other baseball news and notes, yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll see about the buyers and sellers. Yeah, we talked everything about that. Yeah, so that's uh, pretty much what we got there as far as baseball is concerned. And we'll certainly keep our eye on the deadline as next week will just be a couple days away. And I'm sure there'll be a few trades that will commence there. And if anything crazy or anything blockbustery happens, uh, we'll talk about it more next week. We'll uh, keep you abreast and up to date on what's happening with the MLB landscape. All right, let's see. Now, uh, what can we turn our attention to? You know what? I'll go to the Open before I get to Odell's comments. The Open concluded yesterday in not-so-thrilling fashion. Shane Lowry, who's from Ireland, and, of course, the golf course, which was played in Northern Ireland. Lowry, who certainly was in the mix the first two days, where J.B. Holmes was the guy who was out in front both Thursday and Friday. But Lowry was certainly laying in the weeds until Saturday. He burst onto the scene and took the lead going into yesterday, and then there was pretty much no threat. Not even Tommy Fleetwood was able to mount any type of comeback to overtake the lead or even to become in contention for the Open Championship. So Lowry wins pretty much going away. Wins his first ever major. I'm sure it's got to be extra special for him considering that he's a countryman, that he was able to pretty much win it in his backyard. Uh, he was holding the the trophy there. That's a, one of the oldest trophies that are on the planet. Uh, couldn't believe it. Good for him. First-time winner. 
and for the Ricky Fowlers of the world and guys who haven't won their first majors, they're certainly going to have to wait another year because the uh, season for majors is now in the books. You got the FedEx Cup playoffs that are coming up and a lot of the Ryder Cup later on in the year. So if you're a golf fan, if you're a golfer, you have that to look forward to. But a couple of takeaways from the weekend. Now, we understand that the Open is always going to be tricky with the weather, and there was a lot of wind and a lot of rain, uh, over the, especially over the last two days. So when you have guys that didn't even make the cut when you got into Saturday, whether your name was Phil Mickelson, Jason Day, Gary Woodland, who just won the PGA. Oh, excuse me, not the PGA, who just won the U.S. Open last month. When you're Tiger Woods, and Tiger Woods, I tell you, we know throughout his whole career, he's been more of a machine, not necessarily just on the course, but his comments in the post game or the post match, they're always calculated. He's not going to give you too much. Maybe once in a while he may say something, but nothing that you're going to run to the newspapers or run online to read these columns or to watch any of these press conferences. But it was interesting to see what he had to say even after Thursday. Forget about after the cut. Even after Thursday. For him to come out and pretty much resign to the fact that he's just not cut. I almost want to say he's not cut to play golf anymore. Now that's a bit of a stretch by me saying that. But my point is is that when you hear Tiger sounding so resigned in the press conference saying that, A, I'm not like I used to be. You know, it's not like I'm 24 years old. For all intents and purposes, he was saying that I can't hang. And it was interesting to, for him to come out and say, I could practice for four or five hours and hit 36 holes and then go to the gym, run four or five miles. He says he can't do that anymore. What you got to understand, he's 43. He's had all these injuries throughout the course of the last 10 years. And right, when you're 43, your body's not going to respond the way it was 20 years prior. But just to hear him say that, you know, oh, I can't devote the hours of practice like I used to. I'm just not the same guy. Now, he did mention about what took place in Augusta and how that was just monumental for him considering where, how far he had fallen, etc. But even then, he mentioned that it was the beginning of the year. He was just getting in tune to play up to the Masters. He knows how special the Masters is for him. And he even admitted he got a little bit lucky because Brooks Kepka, who has just been on his roll, being in the top five of the last five majors and the way he's performed over the last year and a half. But he admitted that, yeah, the Masters... Although he's not going to admit that it was a fluke, but hey, all the ducks were in a row and the stars were aligned for him to win that. But ever since then, yeah, it's been a struggle. And when you hear that coming from a guy who, let's face it, is arguably the greatest golfer of all time, and despite the fact that his best days are behind him, even with that Masters just four months ago in his back pocket, or three months ago, because we're in July. I'm already thinking we're August. So... When you hear that coming from Tiger Woods, you're, it's a little bit of an eyebrow raise. Like, wow, he's human. He's admitting that he can't do the same things he did 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that's refreshing. Because even though it may be a fact, and to quote Charles Barkley, father time is undefeated, etc. But we all know in any of these sports, it's hard for these players, these performers to admit when their time is coming. How many times have we seen it in boxing? How many times have we seen it in baseball? How many times have we seen a guy that's just going to go out there and whether he's going to fall flat on his face or he's going to chuck air balls? But this is their whole life. This has been their livelihood since they were in grade school. 
And for them to just say, hey, I don't have it anymore, it's a hit to their pride and their ego. And for Tiger to say that the other day, I kudos to you, my man. Give it up. And then you also have Rory McIlroy missed the cut too. And that's a big story because that was literally in his backyard, that golf course. And it's a shame how he wasn't part of the mix either. And a lot of the other aforementioned golfers that didn't make the cut. So not to say it made it lackluster, and I'm not, not trying to knock the Tommy Fleetwoods or the Lee Westwoods of the world or even Brooks Kepka for that matter, who I believe was ended up fifth in this match and, of course, was five times over the last uh, five majors that he's been in the top five. But, yeah, it just made for a very dramaless, certainly you didn't get what you got in the Masters, you didn't get what you got with the PGA or even the U.S. Open. So this one was, let's just face it, it was a dud. If you're a golf fan, if you're going to end your year on this note, eh. I mean, it's been a good year overall when it comes to the majors and how players performed and how a lot of these matches went down to the wire or close to it. But the Open is certainly not going to be remembered in 2019 as one of the great uh, golf matches that we've seen. So that's what you have there. Uh, Let me turn my attention to Odell Beckham Jr. here in the NFL. Well, let's just say this before I even get to that. When you're in February in that first sports dead zone, as I like to say, and the Super Bowl is now come and gone, you have a champion there, all you have is the basketball, hockey season, even college basketball season to kind of shake a stick at and to try to sink your teeth into. But you're sick of the cold, wet, wintry days. Obviously, the Christmas, New Year season is long gone. So now you're looking for some warmth, especially when you're in the Northeast. And you're looking to get that glimmer of hope. And then, oh, wait a minute, pitchers and catchers. Yes, that even though spring is still so far away and the baseball season is even further than that, and certainly T-shirts, tank tops, and shorts are even well down the road from that, but you could still get that thought in your, in your brain, ah, baseball's coming, that means warmer days are headed. Well, this is the flip side of that because now, here we are, late July, and after the 100-degree weather that we had the last couple of days, and pretty much even going back to Friday, because it felt as if it was over 100, I'm sure that the football fan right now is looking at not only just today, but knowing that A, there has been a training camp in the NFL that is broke, and that's the Denver Broncos, which they started their training camp on Friday. And most of the NFL will start their training camps this coming Wednesday that they could sense the leaves changing, crisper air, and dare I say even cold weather coming. Now again, just like I depicted for the baseball fan that the Super Bowl's over and they're looking forward to warmer weather, that cold weather isn't going to come for quite some time. But at least you could get the thought knowing that NFL training camps are opening The majority of them come Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. And me, as I said last week, and I'll say it again, wake me up that Thursday night, I believe it's in Green Bay or in Chicago, either one, where the NFL season will kick off, and then I'll be ready. Because right now, I am not even thinking one iota of football. None. Not this guy. But... 
for the football fan out there, if you want to start thinking, go right ahead. Knock yourself out. But as far as the Odell Beckham Jr. is concerned, now I'm going to make a comment about his teammate later on, Baker Mayfield. So I just tipped my hand as far as uh, one of my segments later on. So, hmm, yes, keep in mind about what I'm going to say. But is he going to be hero or zero? Odell Beckham Jr., GQ article. Now, we all remember last year that Sports Center deal. I think it was Josina Anderson sitting with Lil Wayne, that whole nonsense. That uh, was just a debacle, if you ask me. But now he's GQ, where he comes out and he says how he felt, being with the Giants, that he was disrespected because everything that had transpired over the course of the past year where Coach Pat Shermer, GM David Gettleman. Now, mind you, they did reward him with a $95 million deal, five years. I guess that got forgotten and all that, Odell. But how he felt disrespected by the trade, that he did pray for a change, change of scenery, that is. You know, everything he'd ever done for them, with the Giants getting their primetime games, a lot of it was because of him, because they wanted to see a show. Odell. Just pipe down about your career here in New York and just focus on Cleveland. I get it that you probably got some guy from GQ that you're able to sit down and talk off the cuff. It wasn't as mechanical or it wasn't as threatening. You had you know some guy or woman that just interviewed you and maybe you had a few laughs throughout it and you think that, ah, you know, it's going to be no big deal, please. Although he did admit that the, the poor playoff performance against Green Bay, he did say he had a terrible game and good for him for saying that because if he didn't come out and say that, then, oh, geez. But at this point, and although I have to say it this way, it is in one ear and out the other with Odell, but he does need to pipe down. And if you're the Cleveland Browns, if you're Freddie Kitchens, if you're Jimmy Haslam, if you're everybody in that organization, John Dorsey, the GM, you tell him, say, listen, anything that has to pertain to the Giants, that's over. You're part of our family right now. I get that you're going to be a lightning rod from here on out because of the theatrics, the histrionics, everything that surrounds a one Odell Beckham Jr., but him and bringing out this oh, this nonsense, a disrespect. How did you feel disrespected? Again, five years, $95 million. That's disrespect? Now, I don't know the inner workings. Obviously, I'm not in the, in the locker room, whatever it may be, the, the, the relationship that he had with Gettleman or even Shermer for that matter. But he's got to be off his rocker for saying this. Now, he had the new look at the SB, so he got rid of the, the blonde hair. And listen, he wants his hair green. I could care less. But you would, you would think that maybe with the new look it would have been a newer attitude. But no, he's still stuck on the past. It's almost as if he's the jilted girlfriend is looking better and better by the day and he has to make the comment about, ah, you know, she's not looking that good. Or, oh, you know what, hey, yeah, she may look good on the outside, but it's the inside. It's t- Move on. Move on. That's it. He shouldn't even entertain any of those questions. And if so, and you hear it all the time with these athletes, time and time again, Oh, you know, it's in the past. I want to leave it in the past. And I get that trying to get the juicy quote. But again, this is GQ. Uh, I'm sure Peter King wasn't interviewed for this article. I'm sure it wasn't any other top guys. Adam Schefter, et cetera, or whatever it may be. None of these people. In fact, I got to get who the person was behind this article, which I didn't because a lot of this news broke earlier this morning. But he just needs to pipe down. He just needs to pipe down, worry about his team, worry about his role, and 
Move it up, move on, that's it. Can't stress it enough. All right, that's it with Odell. I've had enough with that. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, and lastly, let's uh, wrap up with this. On Saturday night, you had a boxing match between Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman. Now, Keith Thurman, even with his 29-0 coming into the fight with 22 knockouts, I wouldn't know who he is if he fell on me. Obviously, I know who Manny Pacquiao is. So you had this fight Saturday night out in Vegas where Manny Pacquiao wins a split decision, knocks down Keith Thurman in the first round, although Thurman did come back, split decision, they gave it to Pacquiao. So a lot of people are thinking, even at 40 years old and everything that he's gone through, now he's, what, the mayor? I don't, say, I don't know what he is, but he holds a high-ranking position in the Philippines as far as their, whether he's a mayor, governor, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's the governor, who knows. But Pacquiao now, there's a lot of talk about, okay, what's next for him? Now, as we all know, and listen to this podcast, I have not really followed the sport going back at least 15 years. Yes, if big fights come up, I'm going to take notice, but I'm not running to the pay-per-view or I'm not running to somebody's house to watch these fights. I'm just not. But I did declare about five or six weeks ago on the podcast that I would be more in tune and be more up to what's happening in boxing because it is a sport that, as we all know, has been around forever as as much tradition and history in this country as baseball and any other sport. In fact, baseball and boxing are the two sports that have the deepest and richest tradition. In any, and you could look it up. I understand the NFL is going to be 100 this year, and the NFL, yes, we all know, is the most popular sport in the world. But let's face it, those early days, as we all know, going up to the 50s with the greatest game ever played and the advent of television and not until Monday Night Football did the sport begin to prosper and take off. Boxing goes back to early in the 20th century, even going back to the 19th century. Same for baseball. Now, as far as this future for Manny Pacquiao is concerned, I haven't seen any of the contenders that he may face coming down the pike, whether it's Errol Spence Jr., who a lot feel is probably the top boxer in his class right now. You're also looking at another guy, Terrence Crawford, where they feel that Pacquiao could probably be better suited to fight against, although he's younger and probably a lot faster. Spence is probably in a different class where they, who knows, maybe Pacquiao gets embarrassed. I don't know. I've never seen the guy fight, but from what I read, you got to take their word for it. And until I see him fight, I can get my own opinion on him. A lot of people think that even a guy like Danny Garcia could be next on the list. And he's a guy from Philadelphia, Puerto Rican background. He's been around the sport for quite some time. He could be next in line. Is he going to resuscitate the sport? Listen, Pacquiao is not Floyd Mayweather. He's not a guy that's going to be in front of the camera. He's not a guy that's going to be controversial. We understand there is some controversy surrounding him in the past, which we won't get into. But with that being said, he is, I believe, an eight-time champion. He is a name. He will bring some eyeballs to the sets. But as we all know, the sport is a shell of its old self. So I don't think he's going to resuscitate it. The only way the sport's going to thrive is if you have these young studs continue to filter in and hopefully develop some sort of a, I'm not going to say a rivalry, but right, the only time you're going to get any type of 
excitement in the sport is if you have five or six guys that you could just kind of do a merry-go-round of sorts where they could just go ahead and fight one another so it could just increase the interest and the popularity of, let's face it, of a dying sport. Now, I understand it's been a little bit better with some of these, especially with the heavyweights and what we've seen recently, you know, Deontay Wilders of the world, the Tyson Furies, the, if you listen to some of the podcasts uh, earlier in the summer. But now, I don't know if Pacquiao is going to be that guy. And, you know, again, he's 40 years old. What more can you expect from him? And obviously, he has obligations. He has other things that are going on in his life. I'm sure he wants to continue to fight. And I bet that he's got a little juice in the tank considering what took place there in Vegas on Saturday. But is that going to be enough for to get the boxing fan back involved and back ready to go? I don't think so. And that's, to me, the state of the sport. Now, if there's a, somebody that could get on to talk about it, which I'm hoping to do so, to kind of say to me, you know, Jay Reels, that's not the case. You got to pay more attention. All right, then, please, fill me in. But as of right now, despite the fact they may get some up-and-coming names here, there's no way I'm going to look and say, oh, whoa, I got to watch this fight. This is an absolute must. Yeah, do I want to see what a guy like Errol Spence Jr. could do or Terrence Crawford or another kid, Sean Porter, who they say is maybe not in the class of those two guys, but certainly can be? Yeah, let's see what they got. But if it's a Saturday night and I got other things going on, please, there's no way. I, oh, well, I got to put everything down to watch this. No, not happening. And until then, you know, that's just how it's going to be. But because I do a sports podcast, I got to be on top of it, man. I got to. And I want to. You know, this isn't something that I'm, you know, oh, they're twisting my arm or, oh, geez, I'm at gunpoint. I got to watch this. No. But again, it, give me, it's got to be worth it. And I want it to be worth it. Because if it is, I want to talk about it. A to Z. That's why I'm here. But if it's just going to be a matter of fact, oh, hum, oh, yeah, nah, please. So that's what we got there. And in closing, people, my hero in zero of the week. My hero of the week is Brandy Halliday, who is the widow of now Baseball Hall of Fame, Roy Halliday. And congratulations to everybody. Mariano, of course, who, as we all know, 100% of the ballot. A lot's going to be talked about this year. Will Derek Jeter get 100% of the ballot? I'll save that for another time. But Edgar Martinez, Mike Mussina, Harold Baines, the aforementioned, and also Lee Smith. Congratulations to them. But Brandy Halliday, I, I couldn't even imagine what that must have been like to stand on that podium not even two years after her husband perishes on the Gulf of Mexico as he loved to fly planes and unfortunately led to his uh, untimely death. So for her to get up there in front of all the Hall of Famers, in front of that crowd, in that heat, in those circumstances – the emotion, everything, as you could see, it was just, it was written all over, and she eloquently held herself together and honored her late great husband, Roy Halliday. So my hero goes out to her for this week, and my zero of the week is Baker Mayfield. The Browns have a, they have a bullseye on them this year, and we have plenty of time to talk about that. As I said before, training camps are going to open up, but Baker Mayfield, we all know he's a very, Cocky, confident kid. Going back to his days at Oklahoma, we, hey, what he did at Ohio State, midfield. I mean, that's all, that's all you need to know about him. 
And you could say, oh, that was in college. Well, well, that was two years ago. You know, it wasn't 10 years ago. But here's a kid that is going to speak his mind and is going to be the mouthpiece and the face of this organization. And good for him. And I can understand that. But for him to actually take a dig at Giant fans, and here's his quote, he's here to play in front of fans who actually care, who will show up to every game and pack the stadium and love him for who he is. All right, well, let there be one controversy that goes on in Cleveland, whether he has a bad game against the Steelers or a big game against Baltimore and he drops three passes. Uh, Let's see how the fans are going to love him then. Because as electric and as dynamic as Odell Beckham Jr. could be, we all know there is a flip side to him. And if Baker Mayfield is going to hold him high and dry for a pass that he's going to have some alligator arms on or is taking too many hits over the middle, then guess what? The fans are going to turn on. And I don't know Cleveland fans, and I'm not taking a dig or shot at them because they could say, oh, oh the Jay Reels, what do you know about the Browns fans? Well, there's been plenty of times over the years that that stadium's been empty. And I understand, rightfully so, because they have absolutely zero to cheer about up until last year. But come on now. To take a dig, and we understand Brown fans are loyal with everything that transpired in the 90s, moving to Baltimore, etc. Art Modell, we get that. But let's not make the Cleveland Brown fan out to be the greatest fan of all time. So we know the history of Ola Beckham Jr., as I mentioned just a little while ago. And if you want to knock on the Giant fans, you're right, he has a right to do that. But obviously he was not in this market or certainly wasn't here to witness that. I can see he was a former teammate on the Giants and would stake claim on that. But that's not the case. So Baker Mayfield, come on. You need to pipe down, worry about your team, worry about your fans. And let's see if your team underachieves this year and somehow, some way, it's mid-November and you guys are 5-6 and six and you have to leapfrog 10 teams in a playoff march. And Odell Beckham has one of those 5 for 45 type games and the boos are raining down on you. Let's see how uh, those fans are going to love you at that point. All right, my people. So that's going to be it for the podcast this week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you tune in each and every week. If you're a newcomer, again, thank you so much for downloading and listening to the content. Uh, and what I will implore you as I do to even my most ardent followers is to go ahead, subscribe, download. Also, take a screenshot. Take a screenshot. Send it to me on Instagram. I'll post it on my Instagram story. Leave a rating, post a review, all that. Because again, we all know how many sports podcasts, forget about podcasts, period, but sports podcasts are out there. And there are a ton of them. But here, as long as I've been doing this, to me, it's all about sports, opinion, and being entertaining. I'm not here for any gimmicks, for any shticks, for any hijinks, the mail talk, or none of that. No, to me, it's all about sports. It's about re the sports and at the same time giving my opinion on that and I'm going to continue to do that until I'm not on this earth anymore which I hope is still for another 50 plus years but I digress if you can participate and I'm watching people I'm watching taking full notice whether it's on Apple Google Podcast Spreaker Stitcher Spotify to see who's subscribing who's leaving reviews ratings all of that so again all it's going to do is just increase a lot of the visibility, also the interest level amongst all the other podcast subscribers and all the sports podcasts that are out there. And hopefully that will also generate guests and people of the like that could come on here and talk about what's happening, whether it's broadcasters, writers, bloggers, former athletes, current athletes, whatever it may be. 
So I implore you to do that, and I would be forever appreciative if you did do that. Check out all of my social media profiles, whether it's on Instagram, J Reels, J Reels One on Twitter, just the number, and the J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page. You can also send me an email or DM on those aforementioned social media platforms, as well as an email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. I'll be sure to get back to you. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, I would uh, certainly appreciate it. I love doing this podcast. It's a passion. If you haven't heard it in my voice today or in any of my previous podcasts, then I don't know. I don't know what more else I could say or do, but I'll still be here as long as I'm alive and doing this to entertain you, to inform you, uh, and most importantly, to deliver credible sports talk for the masses, whether it's from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, as I like to say each and every week, that the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect, bringing you everything that's happening in the sports universe. So with that being said, people, not to sound redundant, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels podcast, stay cool, subscribe, leave a rating, post review, all that. And of course, until that next podcast, baby, on the flip.